short book. Uh, again, Joshua uh, began the historical books. And so Joshua judges. Now we're in the third historical book, only four chapters long. Uh, but yet one of the, probably one of the most precious stories that we find in Scripture and one of the most amazing pictures of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ can be found in the book of Ruth. The main lesson that if you take the, uh, there are many, many practical, very, uh, very easily applied lessons, biblical lessons found in Ruth. But uh, if you were to take and, and look at the, the book as a whole, the overlying main lesson or main thing that uh, God portrays here, I think, and some people may look at it from a little different aspect, but I believe that the, the overlying teaching here is God's faithful remnant during unfaithful times. Uh, because we find Ruth's in the setting during the times of the Judges, uh, during a period of the cycle that we've talked about where Israel goes through uh, apostasy, uh, they're in moral decline, uh, they're involved in idolatry and immorality, and, is, and it is rampant throughout the nation. And this is the setting that we find the book of Ruth taking place in, the events of this book taking place in. And it's a very refreshing picture uh, of the absolute faithfulness and dedication of Ruth uh, in stark contrast to um, the nation of Israel and where they're at as a nation as a whole uh, and their unfaithfulness. Uh, the story of Ruth is going to illustrate three major areas and three major subjects. One of them is love. The second one is devotion. And the third one is redemption. And all three of these are so, so vividly portrayed in the book of Ruth. And uh, I think we can learn an awful lot from some of these uh, principles that we find uh, given here. Just to give you a little bit of background... Uh, Ruth is uh, from, the tri uh, from the people of Moab. Uh, if you take time to read the story, you'll find that she was a Moabite. The Moabites were the descendants of Lot. If you remember all the way back to uh, Abraham and the time of Abraham and how that God uh, gave um, the uh, promise to Abraham through Isaac that he would uh, have his chosen people, the Israelites, <coughs> would come through the line of um, Isaac. And then you had Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And if you remember for a long time, Lot uh, was under Abraham's uh, household and under his leadership and authority and uh, lived together. Their, their houses and homes lived together. Abraham was a tremendous influence on Lot. In fact, the Bible says as much as we... Uh, and this is, this is a principle and something that is learned just from the, the life of Lot. But you know the Bible refers to Lot as a just man? You know that the Bible talks about that? But when we think of Lot, what do we think of? We think of Sodom and Gomorrah, don't we? We think of uh, the immorality committed after the uh, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We think of the ruin and the wrecked life of Lot. But God considered him, and the Bible refers to him, as a just man. And can I tell you this, that uh, I think there's a wonderful lesson to be learned here. Lot... Uh, being influenced during impressionable years by the godliness of Abraham and his household, being raised the right way. Even, I believe, sincere in his own heart, in such that the Bible refers to him that even in his heart was a just man, was still susceptible to the depravity of sin. 
And I think there's a lesson to be learned there. That no matter what background or, or where we think we are spiritually in our lives, it does not let us lower our guard against sin. Because even the best of us can be led into sin. Paul said he buffeted his body daily. He was worried that in preaching the gospel, he himself would become a castaway. Uh, he said the times that uh, I think I'm doing well, he said, uh, take heed lest you fall during those times. Those are the times probably to be even more watchful. And so you can mark it down during the times of um, spiritual mountaintops in our life. The time where God is doing something and we're, we have joy and we have peace and it seems like the skies are bluer and the birds are sweeter and, and God is just doing things in our life that we just can't get enough of. The Bible, I think, teaches numerous times and in numerous places. Those are times we have to be most watchful. We have to be most careful. Uh, David spoke about the fact that there was a, a, a... He said, my feet had almost slipped. He said, I was at a place spiritually, and he said, I started getting my eyes on some other things, the, the, the prosperity of the wicked and others. And he said, my feet had almost slipped. He said, they had well nigh slipped. And can I encourage us in this... Um, during those times that it seems like God is just doing things great, our soul is at peace with Him, we're walking with Him daily, we're being nourished by His Word, uh, the fellowship of His people is sweet, those are the times we must be most watchful and most vigilant and most diligent in uh, remaining true. Because uh, Lot had everything going for him, spiritually speaking, and yet found himself in these, in these sins. I look at David. David's another wonderful example. A man after God's own heart. A man who, in the prosperous years of spirituality and the times that he was closest to the Lord were the times that he fell into the deepest sins and began to do things uh, that we look at now and we say he sinned with Bathsheba, committed immorality. She had her husband, he had her husband uh, murdered uh, as a result of that. And I doubt very seriously that months before David would have ever thought that he would be in such a position. It's not part of what Ruth's story is about, but just in talking about this, something that I thought we've really got to be careful in the day that we live. Because we can be in a solid, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. We can be using the right Bible, singing the right songs, having the right friends and fellowship, and God doing a great work in our hearts. And those are the times that perhaps we are most prone and open to letting our guard down. And Satan being able to accomplish a work in us that we would have never dreamed he could have done otherwise. And so uh, be careful of those things. That's not part of the story of Ruth, but felt like that was something we could deal with. So Ruth is from uh, Moabite, <coughs> from the, the, tri uh, the people of Moab, which were the descendants of Lot. Moab, uh, initially when they became a people, were uh, back and forth a little bit, but mostly they had gone into idolatry. And uh, the trend was a continuous downward spiral. Two different times over a period of about 280 years, uh, they go to war with Israel. And the story of Ruth takes place about 200 years after the first uh, war with Israel and about 80 years before the second war. So it's right in the about two-thirds of the way through that time period of the two wars that are taking place there. And that's the time or the setting where Ruth uh, takes place. Um, she begins uh, the story as a widow uh, in absolute poverty. In the first two chapters, deals with her in that situation. 
The last two chapters of Ruth deal with her now as a married woman and that is now prosperous and uh, had uh, some means about her. We don't know who the author of Ruth is as far as the human instrument that was used to write it. We do know that we believe it to be inspired by the uh, Holy Spirit of God. <coughs> There's some discussion by some people that Samuel possibly would have written it. Um, there's enough reason why that's probably not the case, so I would not put a lot of weight in the fact that Samuel wrote it. Uh, a couple of reasons uh, for that is that David, uh, in, in chapter 4 of Ruth, we get the idea or the implication that David is already uh, in place as king. He's already been uh, gone through his coronation and been elevated to king in Israel, and Samuel died before that happened. And so I don't know that uh, Samuel is a good reason to think of that. Uh, Solomon is not mentioned, so it's sometime between the time I think that uh, David uh, was established as king, but yet before Solomon came on the scene. And so somewhere in that time period, I think, is the time that it was written. Uh, again, the, the setting of the book takes place years before that, during the time of the Judges, um, but it was not written until um, that period of time, probably sometime after David became king. Uh, we don't know who the uh, human author is. Uh, but that should not negate because we don't believe that any human uh, were the uh, any human writers were the source of this. Uh, they were the instruments that were used. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God inspired every word, and so it shouldn't matter who the uh, human author is, other than just for our own knowledge. And in this case, we do not know for sure. Uh, there's just no uh, good indication as to who the author could have been. <clears throat> there are four main settings. Four, uh, four major areas uh, that are dealt with here or time periods in the story of Ruth. The first one is found in chapter 1, from chapter 1 through verse number 18 of chapter 1. And this is the time that is spent in the country of Moab. Now understand the background. The nation of Israel, because they're in a time of apostasy and moral decline, God has put them into a place of judgment, so there's famine in the land. And so Naomi, who is uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, and her husband and two sons, they flee from Israel to Moab in order to keep their families alive and to find work and to find food. While they're there, their two sons marry uh, wives from Moab. And uh, uh, so this, this time spent in Moab is found in chapter 1 through about verse number 18, and it covers about 10 years of time uh, just in that first chapter. Uh, the second area that it deals with in the book is uh, at the field uh, in Bethlehem where Boaz is, his uh, servants are reaping the harvest. Okay, so the field uh, that, of wheat that Boaz has, that, that place is covered from chapter 1, verse 19 through chapter 2 and verse number 23 and covers a period of a, uh, just a few months. Uh, this is shortly after Ruth and Naomi come back to Israel. Uh, they go back to the family land, which was the, the custom of the day. Uh, Naomi, not having any other source of income, would be reliant upon uh, the family's uh, crops. And so that's why she would send Ruth to glean from Boaz's um, wheat fields. Uh, and that's how the, the God had structured for those uh, widows to be cared for. They were to be cared for by the family in, in the times of gleaning. Um, and so that's covered in chapter 1 through about the 
end of chapter number two, about halfway through chapter one through the end of chapter two. The third one is uh, the threshing floor of Boaz. This is a different location than the wheat fields, obviously. The wheat fields being slightly outside of the city of Bethlehem. The threshing floor uh, being found right at the gates of old Bethlehem. Uh, this is the, the Bethlehem that is the Bible refers to as in the Valley of Ephrath or Bethlehem Ephrata. That is important. Uh, we've talked about and when here Christmas comes around, I usually teach uh, on the true story of Christmas, the Tower of the Flock, and we so little understand the biblical uh, indication of what tr- truly took place there. And um, this threshing floor that Boaz has is very, very uh, intriguing and very instrumental in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this threshing floor has taken place in Ruth in chapters 3, uh, verses 1 to 18. So basically the entire chapter of 3 uh, is covering the time of the threshing floor. And that covers a period of one day. So we have uh, the first uh, dealings in Moab, that's about 10 years. The second place was in the wheat fields, that was over a couple of months. And then we have the threshing floor, and that takes uh, place in a period of only one day. And then finally, the last chapter, chapter number four, deals with uh, the city of Bethlehem as a whole. And it covers about a year as it kind of wraps up the story of Ruth. <coughs> Moving on to how Christ is pictured in the book of Ruth. And I love this. This is part of what I think is some of my favorite things about the book of Ruth. Christ in, in, the, in Ruth is pictured as our, uh, our kinsman redeemer. And uh, it's interesting that in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, God spells out uh, qualifications for a redeemer uh, when it came to redeeming uh, a debt of the family. Um, he speaks of it in John chapter 1 and Romans chapter number 1, Philippians chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, so numerous places in, Hebrew, in, in, in the Bible, God refers to the qualifications of the Redeemer, someone in the household that could redeem them. It's interesting to me that when uh, Ruth went to the, the, the uh, wheat fields and Boaz saw her out there, and uh, there, was some, uh, there was some interest, obviously. He went to his servants and he said, I want you to uh, leave a little extra out there for her. And so there was, a, there was a little bit of an interest there, but Boaz uh, did not follow through with his, uh, what was the, the, uh, the process in that day and age. Uh, when, when a brother's uh, wife was widowed, then the family was responsible, if they had no children, to marry that woman and to give her a son and a seed for his namesake. And Boaz had that right to take her as a wife. But because there were two reasons why, and he, he stated them. One of them is he was, he was significantly older than she was. We don't know exactly how many years, but most, a lot of people believe it was somewhere around 20 years older than Ruth. And so for that reason, that was one of his reasons why he did not pursue Ruth as a wife when she first came on the scene. The second one was he was not the next in line by the way of kinsmanship. And so... Um, he, when, when the opportunity came and, and Ruth kind of asked him to take uh, the role of the kinsman, uh, he then said, you'll have to bide your time. I need to go check with the others and see if they, uh, because they're ahead of me in line uh, to take you as wife. Then he went and checked with them first. So for those two reasons, Boaz wasn't pursuing this. 
Um, but there were four qualifications that had to, had to take place in order for Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. And I, I found these interesting. I'd never really thought of these before until I was studying for the survey. And um, the first one is found in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25. Let's take a moment to look over there, if you would, for a minute. And we're going to look at a couple passages here, perhaps, for this. Deuteronomy chapter 25. And let's look in verse number 5. Deuteronomy chapter 25. In verse number 5. If brethren dwell together, and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without, uh, without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her uh, to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, and his name shall not be put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders, and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand uh, to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, and loose his shoe from off his foot, and spit in his face, and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up uh, his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. In order for the uh, person to take the role of redeemer, there had to be a blood relationship with them. It's an amazing thing. That Philippians chapter 2 says that God took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. God, in order for him to be the Redeemer, needed to come in human flesh, in human form. In order for him to redeem us, he had to have that relationship. As we uh, find also... Uh, the second thing that is here is he had to be uh, able to pay the price of redemption. Look with me, if you will, in Ruth chapter number 2. Ruth chapter 2. And uh, let's look in verse number uh, 1. Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Imlech, and his name was Boaz. And so there was a, a member of the family that met the role of being a blood relative. And then look with me, if you will, to First Peter, chapter number 1. First Peter, chapter number 1. And uh, let's look in verse number 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. We find in Ruth chapter number 2 that Boaz was certainly qualified in the fact that he was the brother 
And he met the qualifications of the Redeemer. And the Redeemer had to be able to redeem them. Boaz was a very wealthy man. He had fields. He had the ability to do such a thing. We find in 1 Peter that Jesus was without spot and without blemish. Notice it says in verse number 19, "...but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb..." without blemish, without spot. In order for Christ to be able to be our Redeemer, He had to be able to redeem us from our sin. He had to meet a qualification of being a spotless and a perfect lamb. And so, not only was Boaz a blood relative, but he was also able to pay the price of redemption. He's a very wealthy man. He was able to meet the needs And I'm thankful that the only one, the Bible says, that was able to pay the price for our redemption was the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that had the means to be able to pay the debt of our sin. We couldn't do it ourselves. Only He could do such a thing. Number three, they had to be willing to redeem us. I don't know if we dwell on this enough of God's willingness to redeem us. I mean, if you think about this, God spoke out, God stepped out one day in the middle of nothing. I mean, there was nothing there. And He spoke. The Bible says when He spoke and said, let this happen, it came into existence. He spoke it into existence. He then took some of what He spoke into existence, some dirt, of clay, some ground, and he formed man out of the dust of the ground. And uh, even then, man was still not living. And so he took his own breath and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the Bible says, man became a willing soul. As easily as it was for God to create man, would it not just make perfect sense for God when man sinned to just destroy it and say, I'm going to start all over? This isn't, this isn't what I was hoping for. I, I want it to be more than this. I want that man to... It wouldn't have been so much easier to just cut Adam and Eve off completely. Maybe even destroy the earth and say, I'm going to start it all over again. Let's start with a clean slate again. Would it not have been just so easy for God to do that? But He devises a plan where He is willing to come and pay our debt. Not only did he have to be related in some form or fashion by blood, but he had to have the means to do it, and then he had to be willing to do it. I'm so thankful God was willing, aren't you? I'm reminded when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and because he was made in the fashion as a man and was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin, and certainly was touched with the feeling of our infirmities and understood the feelings of a fleshly body, He knelt and with great agony prayed to his father, If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he didn't end his prayer there. He said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You know what he was saying in those words? He was saying, I'm willing. I'm willing to be the Redeemer. I'm willing to pay... The horrible cost of sin. Not only was he able to, not only was he in the rightful position to, but he said, I'm willing to. 
And lastly, he had to be free himself. A man could not redeem somebody if he was in bondage to someone else. I'm thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ was never under the bondage of sin and death. Not one time was he ever under bondage. Oh, what a joy it is to know that he met all of the fulfillment of the law with regards to the requirements of a Redeemer. If he had not been able to fulfill all of those things, then you and I would be sitting here lost this morning. What a wonderful picture that God gives us in the book of Ruth as Boaz is a very clear picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and that He is the kinsman redeemer. He is able to do the payment for the, the redemption. He is willing to do the redemption of Ruth. And He is free Himself. It's interesting to me that God then takes this Moabite lady, full of faith and full of... The Bible calls her a virtuous woman in here. Full of virtue. And He puts her in the line of Jesus Christ Himself. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. Her and Boaz have a son named Obed, and Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. All because a young Moabitess in a foreign land that was known for its wickedness and idolatry said, I want your God to be my God. I want your people to be my people. And she willingly chose by faith to follow the God of Israel. And what makes it all the more amazing is she does this in the midst of a wicked and a perverse nation. Not only where she was coming from, but even in the nation of Israel at this time. Isn't it amazing that oftentimes when man comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has to do so in a world of darkness? He has to do so in a world that is lacking faith and denies God, and yet God has a remnant, doesn't He? He has those few that He can work on and draw We should never get frustrated and say that this world is beyond hope. Because there's always some that God will call their hearts and they will listen. There are always some that will say, I'll remain faithful to Him. It always has been down through history, a remnant that God has. God's faithful remnant during unfaithful times, I think, is a wonderful, wonderful theme throughout this book. Let's look at the keys to Ruth real quick and we'll be done. I know it's about six minutes till we'll start a few minutes after 11 perhaps. The key word is kinsman, redeemer. The key verses are verse num- chapter 1 and verse number 16 where Ruth says that she's going to go with Naomi and she says, Your people shall be my people, your God shall be my God. Chapter 3 and verse number 11 is another key verse that I think is very, very important. It says, And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of the, my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Where Boaz says, I'm willing to be your Redeemer. I've got the means to do it, and I'm going to. What a wonderful picture that's given there. Chapter 4 of the book of Ruth uh, is only 22 verses. Uh, but is the key chapter, uh, I believe, of the book. And um, I hope that we can learn some things out of it. You know, four chapters. You, you, you think, boy, can a book have that big of an impact? Four chapters. Oh, I love God's Word, don't you? So many things. One of the most beautiful pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
His love and His dedication to us, His willingness to be sacrificed and to be our kinsman redeemer. Let's pray we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank You for the Word that You've given to us this morning. We pray that You'd help us as we study Your Word to know it, as we take time to read through some of these books, the book of Ruth. Lord, what a joy it is to our hearts to see You pictured so vividly and clearly through that story. We thank You for people like Ruth who are willing to be used of You. So much so in their love for You and their love and their faithfulness to You was such that You allowed them to even be a part of the line of